Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to the FIC Focus podcast, Macro Matters Edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. We're going off campus today to the Goldman Sachs Chief Interest Rate Strategist, Praveen Kurapathy. He is with us uh, on the phone. Praveen, thanks very much for coming on FIC Focus. Uh, thanks for having me, Ira. So let's just d- d- uh, just go right into it and you know, talking about where we've come from in in terms of rates, obviously, interest rates have risen significantly in 2022. The curve has inverted uh, for large parts of the curve. You know, where where do you think we are headed from here, you know, particularly given this kind of bifurcated uh, uh, outlook by a lot of market participants where you have some who think that the Fed has to hike above 5% and you know, that will have one set of issues, obviously, and then others, which is which is my camp, which is the Fed's going to go to 5%, stay there for a while, and uh, and we can wind up seeing the long-end rally. So, you know, do, do you fit somewhere either in one of those two camps or somewhere in between? Um, I would say uh, probably uh, closer to your camp, but we are above 5%. We just recently raised our Fed call to five and a quarter. And uh, the way we characterize risks here is there are some upside risks. So uh, not quite in your camp, but uh, we are certainly not talking about uh, 6 or 7%. So uh, the way I would characterize it is modestly above 5%. Uh, and uh, while we do think once the Fed pauses, you will see uh, long-end yields decline, we should not expect the sort of declines we have seen in uh, prior cycles. On average, when you have, uh, you know, the Fed pause, the median uh, time from when the Fed is paused to getting uh, rate cuts is about seven months. So if that is true, then you should see a bigger rally. Uh, tens, uh, ten-year yields uh, tend to peak roughly around when the Fed pauses. Uh, it's always hard to tell uh, in the moment whether a Fed pause is a pause or whether it's the end of a cycle. Uh, and so what but what you see is locally these yields peak and uh, then you see a bit of a decline. Now, depending on whether that pause is followed uh, shortly by cuts or not, the extent of decline is somewhat different. Uh, we've been our theme is that this cycle is different. Uh, you are not going to get those cuts. Um where that markets are currently anticipating. And so while we do agree that there's going to be a decline in yields, it is not going to be as large as if you were at the end of the cycle and you got those cuts. Specifically, uh, in terms of market pricing, I would say there are two things we disagree with. We do have a higher terminal rate. Uh, you know, I, I said, uh, as I said, we have five and a quarter, probably some upside risk there. But then uh, we also disagree with the idea of cuts immediately after that markets are currently pricing. And underlying all of that is our uh, baseline, uh, which is uh, that we think we can avoid a recession. 
uh, or certainly, uh, I mean, even if you technically define um, a recession, I mean, recession is uh, somewhat nebulous, uh, you know, how the NBR defines it, but uh, our baseline is we avoid one. And so that's sort of uh, what's underlying uh, this view. So, so let's think about the just dig a little bit wonky into the details of how we get there. So, so do we see a significant shift then in say tips, real yields, or inflation break-evens uh, that are priced by the market in the scenarios that you're talking about? So, so if if the ten-year doesn't decline very much, and and maybe it doesn't decline at all from here, right? Like if if you're correct, then maybe yeah. the curve can invert further because two-year yields end up selling off a little bit more because uh, because the Fed does go above five percent, which is not being priced right now and, and tends to stay where they are. And that still gives you a probably a hundred basis point inversion of, of twos tens uh, in particular. But but is there any significant shifts in your view um, in in either real yields or break evens? One of the one of the aspects of, of the recent sell-off of this year's sell-off has really been how real yields have sold off in the 10-year space by 250 basis points, right? And yep. so 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 the question is, you know, is that over or or does that wind up um, do we wind up seeing a, a downshift in inflation expectations and and tips real yields continuing to sell off a little bit from here? Yeah, so I think on, uh, you know, uh, let me uh, address the, those three components. One is about the curve and uh, second is the composition of, uh, you know, the uh, real versus inflation uh, components um, and uh, the level of yields itself, finally the level of yields. So on the level of yields, uh, the path we see is, uh, I mean, we think market reaction uh, until uh, yesterday was somewhat overdone uh, on one CPI print. And I'll go a bit further and say, even if we got a second CPI print uh, that uh, slightly missed, uh, I mean, I would expect markets would react by, you know, trading yields down again. But we think that is a mistake because there are two components uh, when we think about inflation. Um, you know, one part is what I'll call the easy part, right? So getting core inflation down to around 3%, uh, there are certain things which we think are in the pipeline that will help do that. Now, whether that happens a month or two earlier, I don't think we should read too much into it, though markets appear to be doing that. The more difficult part is getting it from 3-ish percent to 2%. And that's where I think we see upside risks to potentially what the Fed might have to do. Uh, labor markets continue to be tight. And uh, despite the fears that many have had, you have seen a huge decrease in job openings without like a very large decrease in uh, in the uh, unemployment rate. So I think uh, the point here is uh, uh, tight labor market still, and there's a um, easy part of inflation reduction, and then there's a hard part, and that's what gives us those upside risks. Now, if the Fed were to hike to five and a quarter, I don't think tens stay where they are now. Because the reason the Fed would be hiking to five and a quarter, I think, by the way, they get there uh, uh, by downshifting. We don't think they're going to continue, um, you know, certainly not at 75. We expect them to downshift to 50 and then downshift further to 25. And the cycle extension we have, we think, happens in 25 basis point increments, not even 50 basis point increments. And so what that means is if the Fed is going at 25 and is having to push rates higher, I would assume investors would conclude that the long run rate prior they have, that it's, let's call it 3%, uh, they would update those priors. They would, uh, at least for this cycle, uh, realize that that is probably not right. And so if you're moving both the front end 
and your five-year five-year yields higher, uh, that should mean higher 10-year yields. Uh, we think 10s will peak at this this cycle. They will peak at 4.5%. So we don't think we've seen the peak yet. Uh, but that is short-term bearish. We think that peak happens in the first or second quarter of next year. And then you uh, see these yields decline. Uh, we just published our new forecast this morning. And so we see yields decline. But by the end of the year, we still see 10-year yields at about 4.3%. Now, we think that decline continues. But because we think the neutral rate for the cycle is higher, between 35 to 4%, we'd be very surprised to see a much bigger decline. Now, uh, to your question in terms of the composition, where is that increase coming from? I would say that increase, uh, at least the way we see it, is largely going to come from real yields. And that's because the Fed will have to keep real yields high to slow down the economy. Remember, that's what the Fed is trying to do. It's trying to slow down the economy to bring demand down sufficiently uh, to force inflation down. There is a generalized inflation issue that the Fed has beyond, you know, all the goods and uh, categories and the rental inflation that we talked about. And uh, to address that, and that is tied to wage growth and tight labor markets. And to address that, we think the Fed will have to keep real yields somewhat high. And so uh, of that, um, you know, path to four and a half percent, a decent portion of that we think really comes uh, from the real yield uh, side. So, so it sounds to me like you know, if you just do the back of the envelope mathematics of of this, so you're really thinking that if the treasury market as a whole is likely to see you know basically flat or you know plus or minus just a, a little bit in terms of total return. So, so from an asset allocation perspective, you know, and and just you know thinking about other asset classes within the fixed income world, um, you know, do, do you think a higher yield might benefit some other asset classes that are a little bit away from us. So, so you know, in that that base case scenario that you just laid out, do you, do your colleagues yep. in, in the corporate side or the mortgage side think that, you know, this is going to, you know, how is that going to affect their spreads? Are you going to see decent excess returns or not necessarily in an environment where we might have, under your scenario, a unprecedented yeah. third negative year of, of Treasury returns? Uh, actually, uh, I would say in our scenario, um, the total returns uh, for bonds will be slightly positive, not a huge positive, will be slightly positive because even though we are expecting negative returns on the fair value side, right? So if you sell off, your mark to market is going to show a loss. Uh, at this point, you're earning enough in coupon income that it offsets that, right? So we haven't had this for a long time, but uh, next year, uh, we do see that. In fact, across uh, developed economies, uh, we see in most cases uh, returns are uh, total returns, I should say, are modestly positive. Right uh, now, what does that mean uh, from an asset allocation perspective uh, that you asked me about uh, that? Despite our near term bearish view, and it's really a bearish view for the first or second quarter of next year for the full year, if I looked at, you know, if I had a long, longer horizon, uh, I would say uh, in, uh, investment in fixed income is not necessarily a bad idea. Your real returns are going to be somewhat attractive. And even if the total returns are uh, only modest, uh, they do have insurance value. If we are wrong and you get a deep recession, they have insurance value. So I think 
the argument for having them in your portfolios has increased. Uh, where I would say we might have some difference is in the timing of, of when you want to add these. Uh, I don't think current levels, uh, again, if you have a long horizon, probably not a bad uh, uh, idea, but I, I, we do think uh, very likely you will get better levels to actually add your longs. Thanks. So we just have uh, four or five minutes left here. So I would like to just dig in a little bit into some of the details. So there's been some structural changes to the treasury market and to the rates markets in, in general over the past couple of years, perhaps none bigger than the transition from LIBOR to the um, secured overnight financing rate, SOFR, based on the repurchase agreement market and in particular overnight treasury repo. You know, do, do you think that that is having or, or how do you think that transition's gone? You know, have, have people really embraced uh, SOFR, uh, SOFR derivatives now, given that we, we've had a significant um, moves by both regulators and, and some of the exchanges like the CME noting that euro dollar futures are basically going away uh, starting in April of next year. Um, you know, are there any risks kind of around uh, that transition that, that are left, do you think, for, for general rates markets? I'm not talking necessarily about loans and some of the other pieces that, that are more problematic. Yeah, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, uh, the transition was slow to, uh, you know, get off the ground, but uh, uh, we've, uh, I think most investors at this point are very comfortable. There were certain phases where, you know, you had the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, there the, the were milestones which uh, effectively, as you suggested, regulators pushed. Uh, market participants to uh, adopt so far, and I think that's largely uh, happened. Uh, the holdouts still are, as you uh, referenced, there are some holdouts. There is uh, still a preference among certain market uh, uh, participants, uh, you know, the loan market and so on, where you uh, do have a preference for term rates, and we really haven't still solved the issue of, uh, you know, uh, term rates uh, with so far. But overall, I would say uh, what we think of as the regular market, if you're trading SOFA futures versus Eurodollar futures, uh, the volumes in SOFA futures have picked up quite a bit. And I think, uh, you know, uh, the LIBOR going away is not going to be an issue from that perspective. Uh, the big outstanding question is, you know, can you get a satisfactory uh, term rate? And I think that's uh, uh, something that, um, you know, certainty is of interest to a certain uh, segment of the market and that's where i expect there'll be some amount of friction yeah personally i'm i'm not I'm not sure why regulators are pushing back so much on a, on a SOFR term rate, particularly if we have a lot of instruments that are based on <laughs> on three months SOFR now that that actually exist. Um, so last question, um, you know, we obviously it looks like we now have a split Congress, which might mean um, some angst over both the budget and, of course, the debt ceiling. Um, you know, do you have any feelings about that? How worried are you about that either in the near term or, or 2023? So, uh, I mean, this is one of those uh, things that, uh, you know, should not be an issue, but uh, every once in a while, especially as you noted with divided government, that does become an issue. Um, look, uh, to the extent, uh, you know, this is an issue, we think this is probably a, um, the 2Q or second half uh, question. Um, that's when we expect uh, this will become more binding. Uh, and... Uh, in theory, Democrats uh, in the lame duck session could 
take care of this, right? So they still have a budget resolution uh, that they could use uh, if they are willing to put a number. Uh, the issue is it's not clear they have support in the Senate. Remember, they just have 50 uh, uh, votes in the Senate, and uh, if they lose a Joe Manchin or someone else, uh, they're not going to be able to pass. So uh, the ideal situation here is they try to pass something in the lame duck to avoid this confrontation next year, because in that confrontation, it's very possible that Republicans, House Republicans, will try to force uh, some sort of spending cuts. Um, but there's also a question of feasibility. And right now, it's not clear that they have the votes to, uh, you know, raise the debt ceiling in the uh, lame duck session. So uh, I, I would say uh, we're probably doing the same as you are, watching the space. And uh, um, if uh, we don't get it done in the lame duck, uh, uh, there's a good chance uh, uh, this is going to be a bit of a headache. We've been through this many times. Uh, and uh, what I would expect here is uh, uh, probably looking for what uh, concessions Republicans are going to try to extract. Um, I, I don't think, uh, you know, we're going to see a repeat of 2011 where, you know, there, was, uh, there were questions about downgrades and so on and so forth, uh, simply because we've been down this route many times. It's really a question of, uh, you know, how much they can force uh, uh, or extract from the Democrats and, uh, you know, how messy it's going to get at that point. And it always gets a bit messy because, uh, you know, even though you feel confident it might be resolved, uh, there is just, uh, you know, this unwillingness to have that tail risk. And so you will see the usual uh, sort of uh, debt ceiling dynamics or trades uh, work out uh, as they have in the past. That's great. Praveen, thank you very much for coming on the FIC Focus podcast. Um, thank you and have a good weekend. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for everyone for listening. If you have any questions or comments that you'd like to make, please hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. Uh, until next time, be well. Mm-hmm.